I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends, that would be us, chat about books and reading with another book lover. We find book lovers everywhere, authors of all types, librarians, literary agents, theater artists, and publishers, just to name a few. We are looking everywhere for book lovers, everywhere. (laughs) And we are totally biased, but we think reading people are the coolest people. So today we chat with author Melanie Johnson. She was so much fun. I've been editing this episode and I find myself laughing and smiling as I'm editing, but she is the author of the Sometimes in Love romance series. But her newest release, which hit bookstores last week, is a little bit of a departure for her. This is a romantic comedy called Too Good to Be Real. Melanie says she strived to write something light and fluffy that would take her mind and other people's minds off the hard year that was the 2020 pandemic year. And she wanted to make readers laugh. And as you will see, as you listen, and as Amy just said, we laugh a lot in this interview. I had to cut out a lot of giggling, let me just say. (laughs) But before becoming a full-time writer, Melanie was a high school English teacher, a stay-at-home mom, and the founder of a theater company. But then she tried her hand at writing during NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. And she did this with a mom's group in her area and enjoyed the process. So now Melanie takes her love of romance novels that she has had since she was 10 years old and funnels it into her novels and her romance Facebook group, The Reading Lushes. But first, Carrie, I have to ask you about something Yep. So you have a blog that you write and you've kept for quite a while. And I happened to read your most recent one that came out this morning and it is about donuts and your hatred for the donut trend of putting all kinds of yummy crap all over donuts. (laughs) And I must say, what do you have against sprinkles? I just need to know. So look, I'm a live and let live person, right? If you are the type of person that loves cookie crumbles and sprinkles and gooey, oozy, whatever on your donuts, go for it. Do your thing. But it's just too much for me. Like it is too much. (laughs) Visually, I think it looks fantastic. But I think I described it in my blog. It's like taking a bite of diabetic coma like well it is yeah it's just too much so i am not a person that is quote-unquote extra right you know this don't paint my nails i barely brush my hair i am perfectly happy to wear the same outfit multiple days in a row and i know this about myself but i don't know just recently my niece was in from frankfurt she stayed the night and so i thought i'm gonna go get some donuts she brought donuts and I was like, oh, yay, you know, you, you know, beat me to the chase. You brought donuts. Well, this morning I went and I opened up the box and I was expecting like maybe some frou-frou donuts, but yeah. also like glazed or maybe a lemon filled. I don't have a problem with like the chocolate glaze on top. Those are good. This box of donuts is like frou-frou. And I I was just sort of disappointed because it's just too much. Like, I don't enjoy those type of donuts. Anyway. (laughs) It's an analogy for your life, Carrie. 
I mean, there's all these new wonderful places you can get a donut. But honestly, my favorite donut is from a local gas station chain that we have here called Thornton's. It was an Oreo donut. So it's basically just a regular donut, but it had like a vanilla glaze and then chopped up Oreos on top. They no longer make it, which makes me very sad. But is that too extra? That's too much. Okay. That's too much. (laughs) It's too much. (laughs) Again, if you love those donuts, make your heart happy, but it doesn't make me happy. And I feel like it's like, well, if you like that, then it's how can we make it even bigger and better and more sugary? Oh, I totally understand what you mean. We recently looked at some refrigerators because we need a new one. Not immediately, but soon. And there were some refrigerators that had TVs in the front door panel. Why do you need a TV in your refrigerator? I don't understand that. The funny thing is, this relates so perfectly to a book that I started reading. It's called Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. Mm, that and sounds I'm totally like, up your alley. This, like I said, I haven't read enough to like speak to it and, and whether you know, it's good or bad or whatever, but I'm very excited to delve into it because it, it's, it, that is my jam. That is my jam. I want to make sure I bring up a topic that is going to be smacking us both in the face in like two days. You and I are going on a short little trip this week. I'm selling it to my husband is that it's podcast related. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That we're visiting former guests and future guests in Cincinnati. But we're also going to probably do some eating and some drinking. And we're going to go on some fun tours. And it'll be a vacation, too. Yes. And And my husband asked me if I plan to return. And I said, that has not been decided as yet. Oh, so. oh, you'll be sick of me by the end of the trip. So it'll be good. Maybe. You and I get along really well, but Carrie is the type of person who doesn't want anything on her donut. And I am the type of person <laughs> that I'm a little bit more excitable than you are. And I think that sometimes my enthusiasm over time might wear on your get off my lawn vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just, I'll just say that. My curmudgeon vibe. There you go. But we've got this episode with Melanie Johnson that we should get to. Let's do it. Melanie Johnson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me today. So I just finished your book and it was such a fun ride, but I want to find out a little bit about you first and about your reading and your writing life. So were you a big reader in childhood? Very much so. I was definitely the quintessential bookworm who always had a book with her from the time I was little. My mom used to love to tell stories about how I was such an early reader. And so I don't know if that instilled in me this sense of being a reader is awesome, but I've always been an avid reader. When I was little on the entire Nancy Drew series in third grade, I I kind of burned through that at the library. I would go back every day and get another one. I started romance very early. I think around 10 was when I found my first Joanna Lindsay. I would get dirty looks from the librarian when I kind of moved from the Nancy Drew section to the spindles with all of the bodice ripper covers. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I've never heard of Joanna Lindsay. What? Yeah, I know. I know. I (laughs) 
<laughs> I was so stuck on Judy Bloom's Forever. I, I really never got out of that. It's a wonder I have three children at all. I honestly. found them by so. accident, actually. I was babysitting again. I, yes, t- 10-year-old babysitting. It was a different time. <laughs> yes, it was. I think I babysat at 10 as well. <laughs> People like to tell me that I was kind of always an adult. As a child, it was just like my personality. But yes, I was babysitting. The kids were in bed. This book was sitting on like the top of the TV. I picked it up and I was just like, what is this? <laughs> and so I had to go find more and more and more. And I've been pretty much reading romance, you know, ever since. I do enjoy other books as well. I do enjoy some mystery and some paranormal, that kind of thing. But for the most part, I pretty much always have a romance, at least two, if not three books going at the same time. So it sounds like the fact that you have really been immersed in that genre since you were young, I mean, that fostered the fact that you write these types of books now. Do you you think that's the case? Or do you think Um, that you would have gone in that direction for writing regardless? When I started writing, I don't think there was ever a question that it was anything else but a romance. And like it just that's the story that came to me. One of the other early series I read, they were called Sunfire Romances, and they were put out by Scholastic and they were young adult historicals. Um, Basically, if you took like American Girl novels and the Sweet Valley High books and put them together... You had that. And I run on my Instagram page. I'm doing like a fun throwback Thursday thing where I'm posting the covers of all these old Sunfires because I kept that collection from the time that I was little. I mean, these are we're going back to the mid 80s here, but I've kept them all these years and I'm having fun kind of doing reviewing, reliving the past. It's so fun to look at the covers of the books that we read back when mm-hmm. we were young and teenagers. I think we posted something on our Facebook. It was, might, might have been Paula Danziger covers and maybe some of the Judy Bloom covers. But, you know, you just get like this funny feeling when you see them. By funny, uh-huh. I mean good. Right, because in, it in, like but, transports you. Yeah, exactly. Because I was thinking about how when you look at a cover and a lot of times you can kind of place that period too because there's like these epochs of cover styles based on the time. So that's mm-hmm. fun too. So prior to writing, you were a high school English and theater teacher. And was. what was it that made you determine that you were going to move from that into making writing your full-time gig? Well, it didn't happen like directly. So I was a full-time high school English and theater teacher. And then I got pregnant. So my husband and I made the very conscious decision that I would stop teaching full time so I could be home. And what I did continue doing, though, and it was great that the high school worked with me on this, is that I continued to direct their plays and coach their speech team for years after my first was born. So I was kind of still having that other world and being engaged in that. So I didn't think about another career until... And I actually kind of bounced around and did several jobs. You use the term stay-at-home mom, but it's like stay-at-home mom with five jobs. And the writing didn't start until my second was born five years later. And then I kind of pulled back from the high school things that I was doing. So doing it for fun at first, actually, it was through a mom's group that I was in that we decided to do NaNoWriMo together, which is National Novel Writing Month in November, if you're not familiar So we did that kind of for fun, and I really liked it, and I enjoyed the book that I wrote, which was a paranormal, not a contemporary romance. 
And again, still not anything thinking it would be career-wise because I actually launched my own children's theater company for a little while where I ran the business and directed plays and taught classes um, at local park districts. And it started to grow and I was at three different park districts and had to make the decision to either make this everything I did or back away from it because it really was taking over my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give the writing a shot. I really wanted to give the writing a shot. By that point, I had found uh, some local writing groups. Uh, at the time, I was part of Romance Writers of America. I joined that. And I say this, like, I know I'm lucky. So I, I'm lucky in the fact that I was able to, at that point in our lives, my husband was working at a job that allowed me to, to not have to bring in a paycheck as well. Mm -hmm. So I was able to step back from paying jobs to focus on the writing. Right. So you, you said that her first novel was paranormal. Even when you were doing the theater business, were there ideas percolating that you would write down? And so when you decided, like, I'm going to make this my full-time thing, it wasn't that you were starting from necessarily scratch with ideas. I don't think I ever consciously had book ideas then. Um, I was writing a lot of scripts, you know, so I was always writing, mm -hmm. but not for a book. I didn't really turn my attention to book writing until that first NaNoWriMo. And then, yeah, the idea started to trickle in for book ideas. And once those floodgates open, they never seem to stop. And it's like, <laughs> I have like a running list of notes where I just, every time a new book idea comes to me, I have to jot it down so it doesn't escape and I lose it forever. So your novel, Too Good to Be Real, debuts this summer in July. Is it? July 6th, yes. July 6th. Okay, so can you give our listeners a little, just a brief summary of, of the book? Yes. So if you've ever seen the movie Austin Land or read the book Austin Land, it's basically an Austin Land for rom-com lovers. Now, if you haven't read Austin Land, it's a resort, it's an immersive experience that allows you to live in the world of Jane Austen. Well, in this case, the heroine goes to a resort that allows her to live the immersive experience of being in a romantic comedy. It's such a fun premise. You wrote several other romances before this, the Sometimes in Love series. And I get the sense, I've read your newest one. I haven't read the Sometimes in Love series, but I get the sense that they're very different kinds of books. And that's based totally on the covers. The covers of the first series look completely different and they sort of have the same theme and this one has a totally different type. Is that the case also for what's inside the book? Um, Did you sort of make a switch? So the, the Sometimes in Love series came out in mass market paperback, and it was right on the cusp of where publishing was having this transition into the illustrated covers. So mm. it's funny because you will hear this a lot, and everyone has their opinion on, on how much of this is true or not. But depending on the book, what you see on the front isn't necessarily going to change how much what's inside. Like I know there are a lot of books with what you look at and see an illustrated cover and think rom-com and it's not a rom-com inside versus or my sometimes in love series, which has traditional what you expect of a romance with the couple on the front, the almost kiss, what they call it a lot of right. times. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Leaning in. So I will say that the first series is sexier. There are more steamy scenes, more steamy content, whereas the, the rom-com illustrated cover has some steam in it, uh, but not as much. And the storyline overall shifted a little bit as far as 
focusing more on the heroine and her besties, which my sometimes in love series had too, but it was much more on the romance where this rom-com is much more on the overall experience and less on the, on the heat. Mm. And, and that's the other thing is like, you can't tell how hot a book is on the inside based on the cover, because a lot of these illustrated covers could be everything from closed door to very sexy inside. You just don't know. So you, you mentioned Austin Land, and I have, until you said that, and I just quickly looked it up on Goodreads, I had never heard of that book. So but I'm curious, I'm just so intrigued by this idea, like these entertainment weekends. Do these exist in real life? So I did not know they existed in real life until I started writing this book. It was totally a lightning bolt of inspiration with Austin Land. Like, why can't we have something like that for rom-coms? Like, I would love to have that kind of immersive experience of falling into a rom-com where you have these awkward moments. Like, basically, like, you become Bridget Jones or something. So there is not a, a resort like mine. There's not a resort like Notting Hill is the name of the resort in the book. There is not a resort like that in existence yet, although I've had a lot of readers tell me they wish they wish there were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I want to go to this place. I'm like, yes, me too. <laughs> um, but there are these immersive experience hotels that do exist. And when I was doing the research, I was discovering and I mentioned them a little bit in the book. There's these two characters that are habitual LARPers. LARP is L-A-R-P, live action role playing. And these two go off and find the experiences all around the world. And they do exist. There is a place in Transylvania that you can go and kind of have this experience like you're almost in like a Bram Stoker novel kind of situation. Ooh. They're, they do exist. There's not a lot, but they are out there and they vary from being in an actual resort to being more of a traditional LARPing experience, which is like somebody rents a campground and everybody dresses up like, you know, knights and trolls and <laughs> yeah, <That's cool. laughs> and, and battles each other for a weekend. Um, but it's, it's, it's all about indulging in the fantasy, embracing the what if, becoming somebody else for a little bit. And it's just fun. So I think a lot of people, when they think rom-coms, they obviously think of the movies, but also contemporary books. But really, some of the most popular novels in history have been rom-coms. And I'm thinking about the Jane Austen novels, which are, in essence, rom-coms, and, and you refer to Austen Land. So what elements are you sure to include when you're writing one? The biggest one is the meet-cute. The meet cute, that moment where the two characters have that flicker of interest and it's almost always antagonistic or it's conflicting. Think lots of stumbles and bumps and awkwardness. But there is always that initial meeting. Like you think, speaking of Jane Austen, you think of Pride and Prejudice where she overhears Darcy speaking very belittlingly of her. So you have that kind of negative clash when they first meet and she's very cold to him. But almost always in rom Comes, you know, Notting Hill, there's the very famous juice spill that, that happens. So the, the meet cute is a big one. And I, you know, I, I really have fun incorporating how I'm going to make my meet cute happen into the story. <laughs> the one in Too Good to Be Real involves seagull poop. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> As you're describing that, I'm like, that is the start of every teenager's relationship. That's and then you get all teenage- those those tickly giggly feelings, yeah. you know, and reliving those moments. And it's like feeling awkward, but also feeling hopeful. Like, is this something like it's just 
it's just fun. It's so yeah. I think that is one of the big appeals of rom-coms and, you know, something important to me. And then in general, with romantic comedies, and I think this comes up because the hero sister Penelope in the book is the big fan. Like she loves them. They kind of got through a very difficult time. And, you know, it doesn't matter how bananas things get, just out of the world weird life throws at you, you know, in the end, it's all going to be okay. So I'm mean, thinking about the difference between a straight romance and a romantic comedy, and it seems like there's a lot of self-deprecation in a romantic comedy. I mean, it seems like the characters are goofy's not necessarily the right word, but I mean, they're human with human foibles. And yes, like- <laughs> well, I mean, I just tend to be a self-deprecating person. So that's probably going to show up in my voice and in my stories to begin with. But thinking about most of the rom-coms I've watched, there is, and I wonder if it's, if it's because it humanizes them, it, the experience where we see, you know, Bridget in that horrible, you know, holiday sweater <laughs> or, you know, drunk karaoke, completely embarrassing herself. The uh, Jennifer Lopez, and that one where her heel gets stuck in the mm-hmm. uh, the thing on the street and Matthew McConaughey comes out and rescues her. And that's like, wouldn't everybody love to, like, if they're, like, facing down a life or death experience, Matthew McConaughey comes to rescue you. Like, that's... <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a great point. And there are regular romances that will definitely have flawed characters. That's important. But I think romantic comedies do elevate that awkwardness because it's often a source of humor. And if, if you can laugh at yourself, then people can laugh with you. So the element of comedy, you know, you hear about comedic acting is some of the most difficult type of acting. And so do you think that having comedy in your books as well, like that's a difficult element to add? So that's a great point. So I, as a theater teacher, I was an actress. I did have some work in acting and that is true. You know, all the serious dr- drama gets all the accolades, but being funny is actually pretty hard to do. And the thing is, like, to do it right, you have to take the material very seriously. You can't be thinking it's hilarious. So it's it's a very tricky dance to find the right place. So when I'm writing it, I'm not necessarily thinking, what would make this funny? Like, that's not something I sit and do. Luckily, my characters often do things that I find hilarious. So... <laughs> you know, things that are unexpected. So there will be moments where I have things that have happened in my life that I found funny that I will, you know, work in in certain ways. And I I don't know if there's a specific thing you can do. I think it's obvious when you're trying too hard, though. And I think Mm -hmm. I've been guilty of that as an actress of trying to throw too much into it Mm -hmm. and just becomes overwhelming for the audience. There is like this balance of how much you put into it and how bonkers you can get. And the thing is, like, I I always prefer to go over the top and pull it back. And every director I've had, and when I was a director too, like, it's always go big and then we can pull you back. It's always a lot easier to to pull back than it is to scale up. Your book refers to so many popular rom-com movies, especially from the 80s and 90s. And it made me so nostalgic for some of them. And I haven't seen them in such a long time, like Sleepless in Seattle. But there were others that you talk about that I had never seen. And I want to go back and watch those. So were all of these movies something that you were familiar with? Or did you have to do some research and go back and, and watch all of them? Definitely column A and column B. So there were some that I was was very aware of and loved and had fun Adding into one of my favorite rom-coms is 10 Things I Hate About You with Mm. Heath Ledger. So I knew I wanted to work that in somehow. And then I was actually working on a book based off 10 Things I Hate About You when this idea came to me. 
<laughs> That's the movie I've never seen that you talk about in oh, there. Oh, I need to watch it. I it's, know. It's I have to see it, it is, now. It is, it is YA. They are in high school, but it is so much fun. But then there are several others that I hadn't. So I know that there's these tropes, these tropes where they show up over and over and over again in rom-coms, books, and movies. And one of them is paintball. And I'm like, what is it with paintball that it is in everything? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, from the hating game to the unhoneymooners to the movies I mentioned in in my story. So I, that was research where I looked up rom coms with paintball and found <laughs> more and went and watched those. And that has how I was able to some of those references came from that kind of research. And then there's like a new crop that we're coming up on Netflix, like Set It Up, that has the elevator scene in it. So trying to work some of the newer ones in as well. Like, am I doing something wrong? Because I have never had any paintball experiences, romantic or otherwise. <laughs> well, I think paintball is just ripe for embarrassment. Again, right. You talk about, you know, the awkward situations and yeah, paintball. And it's just another over the top thing because you almost always have the people that are really into it. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone who has to come into it like I've never done this before and feel vulnerable and things happen and there's opportunities for someone to act heroic. So, yeah. And someone like to the- get splattered with paint yeah. by accident. Yeah. I, I feel like the idea that just popped in my head was the throwing axes companies have gotten really popular. And I'm like, okay, would that be romance or would that be horror? Because I really feel like that could go. Um, I mean, again, you can see those definitely being in rom coms, like a first date kind of situation. You show up and it's this axe throwing thing. And you just, yeah, like, uh, serial killer or. <laughs> That's the next step in rom-coms. Yeah. I'm, take, I'm taking notes. I will put that aside. Okay, there we go. There we go. I just, I I just want a little acknowledgement. I was going to say, I will credit you in the acknowledgement. Awesome. That's all I need. I'll be thrilled. So I want to talk about your main male character, Luke. And he's not what maybe a lot of readers would think of as a as a heartthrob. And because we've been talking about rom-com movies, I immediately thought of Billy Crystal in When Harry Met Sally, who is totally not like leading man. He's not Matthew McConaughey. He's not Ben Affleck. He's just not that type of traditional leading man. Luke, in your book, he's a self-professed nerd, no sense of style, loves to play video games. I feel like I'm talking about my husband. Um <laughs> And so for people who maybe have seen those typical romance book covers, but haven't really read them themselves, you know, they're thinking Fabio, but Luke is more, you know, I mean, more like a regular guy. So what is important to you about having a main character who isn't maybe that leading man or that perfect male role? I think as it adds that element of reality to it, which is kind of a theme that comes up in the book, that juxtaposition of fiction and reality, and the fact that she has this fantasy experience with someone who is just so not the usual part of the fantasy. And I will have to give a caveat. So this book was written in like the throes of the pandemic, the middle of quarantine. My husband is on remote office. He's home with me 24-7, constantly around. And he definitely, and I've never like written him into a book, but Luke is very much in a lot of ways my husband. And what I'm loving is so many readers, early readers of the advanced copies are telling me how much fun they're having with him because he's not the typical hero and like you said, he reminds them of their husband. Yeah. Yes. I love that about the book, <laughs> yeah. that it's not some 
Hollywood heartthrob type I mean, I mean that's, that's fantasy escape too. And I won't fault anybody for wanting the muscles and the all of that. That's fine, you know, because it's fantasy. It's escape. Why not? But there's also something really sweet and endearing to see someone fall in love with somebody like who you are with, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think especially young women, you know, I, I know for myself, what I aimed for when I was dating, you know, what I wanted was like the super hot guy. But in reality... I didn't want to deal with sometimes guys who look really great. You know, they like to flirt with other women. You know, maybe some of their behaviors are not what I would want in a long-term romantic relationship, you know? Well, and that's why we had Zach in the book. We have the foil to Luke. Yes. Right, right. And so I think it's nice because reality for most women is that they're not going to end up with the heartthrobs. You know, they're going to end up with just kind of normal guys. And this is especially good. My husband is a total like video game nerd. Sounds like I should set him up with a meeting with your husband (laughs) so they can talk about whatever (laughs) they talk about. My husband has a podcast for video game nerds. Oh my gosh. Wow. This talk about matchmaking. I didn't know we were going to end up doing it for our husbands on this recording. So in the acknowledgments of the book, you refer to it as the murder book because you thought that writing it would kill you. And so I need to know more about that. <laughs> okay. So this idea for this book was honestly like, it was like, boom, it came to me and it was so perfectly formed. And I was so excited about it. I, as I mentioned, I was working on a different book. And so I emailed my editor and I said, can you call me? So she gets on the phone with me. And I tell her, I know we're working on the proposal for, it was like the 10 things I hate about you, you know, loosely based book. But what do you think about this? And then I give her the Austin land for rom-com lovers pitch. And she gasped. And I knew when she gasped what was going to happen. And we switched. We switched to this book. So anything that comes that easily, you know, there's nothing in life is for free. So like I got that great idea. But then making this book work and making it work while in a pandemic, trying to be funny and or trying to allow myself to feel happy, like be funny. Like, well, you know, I have a high school senior who was dealing with the struggles of her last year of high school being nothing like she wanted and just having everybody home and having all of this stuff going on. And then I got shingles. (laughs) Oh, no. I had shingles, too. So I totally feel your pain. And and I did not know this was something you could get. I thought it was like, you know, quote unquote, old people problem. So so we didn't know what it was. And this was still fairly early on in quarantine. So it was not something you wanted to go to the hospital for, but it got so bad that there was no, we had no choice. So I ended up in the ER and it took them a long time to figure out what it was. And it was stress induced. So my book literally. I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So that's when, when I say that it was just like, it took everything I had to make this book happen. Lots of very long nights that at my age, I really should no longer be doing. (laughs) But it happened. It got through it. So then, yes, yeah, so that's when I said, I, I was like, this book is trying to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> so I say it with tongue in cheek, you know, affectionately. Yeah. I know how stressful. I mean, it was. It was for everybody. Global pandemic. Yes, it could be hard. But then that's what I wanted. I wanted to make a book that was an escape, a book that was fluffy and like fantastical in the sense that it was just fun And the other thing that we struggled with as we were working on these books in the beginning of the pandemic was how do we write stories where everything is normal? Mm. You know, that was a big question for a lot of authors was this sense of 
do I ignore what is happening like all around me and just keep writing as is? And the thing my editor and I talked about was, yes, one, in the middle of something like this, I don't want to read about it too. And the other thing was that, you know, there's no sense of knowing how long this would go on. And if you want to write a book that is set in this time, that's fine. But hopefully it is such a sliver of time, hopefully, that we will go back to a place where there's no moment of cringing at a group of people all in a restaurant together, that kind of thing. Mm. In your afterwards, you thanked your retreat buddies who helped you brainstorm some ideas for the book. So I'm wondering, are the retreat buddies a writing group that you're in? Um, Yeah, it's not an official writing group. Yeah, it's more of a Chicagoland area authors um, who we know each other. I think most of us actually met through RWA at the local chapters and things and we connected. And it's more of once in a while, we'll try and hold a, we call it like a plot day, where we'll all get together at someone's house. Each of us gets an hour to talk about the book we're planning. And then everyone in the group can throw ideas out, can help brainstorm, can help work out problems, can help come up with ideas. And when I was first working on this book, I you know, mentioned the whole rom-com thing. That's also where I had some thoughts of rom-coms I may not have seen before from some of them who had seen ones and like, you have to watch this one. So all of them in this group are romance writers. Yes. Maybe maybe they're not actively writing romance, but they were at some point in their careers. And some of them are published authors. Some of them are what we like to say pre-published. And a few of them have shifted over to the other side of the desk. So they're editors and things like that. That's interesting that you'd have plot days. Did you have any other kind of days like ending days or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. No, like these, the plot days, we it takes a lot of effort to plan them just because everyone's schedules are so banana. So finding a day that works for most of us and and now obviously we, we can't do them, but there's hope on the horizon that we can start doing them again, especially outside. Actually, we did have one last year in my backyard where we were spaced very far apart and we were outside the whole time. And that was great. And that's when I started working on my plot for the next book, which I'm writing right now. Well, I was just going to ask you that. What are you working on next? <laughs> so the sec- it's the second book. I wouldn't call it a series so much. It's kind of more of a companion book. Um, it's currently titled Too Wrong to be Right, but that could always change. And it is Kat's book. So Kat is one of the group of friends from the first book. And this one, the meet cute happens over a dead body. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not in an axe throwing place, though, so right? T- no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, um, the hero works in a, his family owns a funeral home and she's oh. a florist. Oh, oh, okay. It's the florist friend. Okay. Yes. yes. Very fun. Generally, like I tend to like darker, more serious books, but that's a little macabre sounding. So I'm like, oh, that, that might be right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a little macabre. There's some <laughs> discussions of things like his sister is... The cosmetologist, um, but she's the one that dresses the bodies for, prepares them for funerals. And she's very into the conservation and green efforts, which is trying to get the family to start moving towards greener burial things. And there's a suit that your body turns into mushrooms as one of the Luke Perry, actually. (laughs) Blending Caitlin Doty books, which I love, with romance. I'm on board. So Luke Perry was actually buried in one of these suits. So it's very fascinating. And it's just kind of fun to work this stuff in because it is like macabre, like you said, but with, you know, a bit of humor. So the hero is Irish and the Irish definitely have this kind of macabre sense of humor Mm -hmm. of life 
and death being kind of hand in hand and being able to look at everything as a big grand joke. (laughs) So there's some of that going on in there. And if you've ever watched New Girl, this hero is another awkward, awkward boy, (laughs) but he's based a little bit on Nick Miller from New Girl. If you haven't seen the show that you don't know, but if you have seen the show, you definitely know. (laughs) So for this funeral romance, do you have an anticipated... Um, fall 2022. So okay. it's, we okay. got a bit of time. It's too good to real. Very summery book set in the summer at a resort on the beach. This book is set in the fall and in Halloween into Christmas. So it's yeah, it'll be a fall book. Awesome. Very cool. Well, because I also have a high school senior who just graduated, who had to deal with her senior year and the pandemic. But as a mother of teenagers, I'm wondering what they think about you writing romance novels. I'm just thinking that my my daughter would cringe at the thought of telling people that. (laughs) It's a combination. Yes. As far as my children knowing I write romance, my oldest, she has happily had her friends get my books and her uh, her AP government teacher found my books and read them all. (laughs) That one made her a little bit of like knowing that. <laughs> that one she was a little bit like okay um but in general like she's had me sign books for her friends and I told her when I was first writing romance when I was first starting all this I want she wanted to read my books and I said no no not till you're 16 so she turned 16 in April of 2019 and my first book came out in April of 2019 Mm. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> so she could read it, and she honestly, I don't think she's actually gotten through all of them because she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> as soon as she thinks of her mom, right? Especially the first books, which are much steamier. Uh, and my youngest definitely uses the word cringy when she talks about <laughs> my books. She just she just turned thirteen, and she, the covers of my first books. I mean, she just was like, uh, rolled her eyes, couldn't stand it. The, the third book is called Once Upon a Bad Boy, and I think she still mocks that title. <laughs> <laughs> the titles are kind of fun. Getting Hot with the Scott and yeah. Smitten oh, oh, yeah. by the Brit. Those are yeah. fun. My, they, like to, they like to come up with other ones at the dinner table. They're like, getting saucy with the Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> Squirming with the German. <laughs> you, you need to hire them. <laughs> So overall, though, I think they're actually pretty proud of having a mom who's achieved her dream in the sense that, you know, my books are on shelves, people are reading them. So that's pretty cool. Well, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Melanie Johnson and with Carrie. Carrie, you've been away on vacation, and did you read like 10 books while you were away? I finished two books, but I'm actually going to talk about a book that I mentioned in season four. I had briefly mentioned it. It's called Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. So when I mentioned it, uh, I had just started it, listening to it on an audiobook. And what I said about it was that there was a chapter where one of the main characters was like listing all the stuff that she was buying at the grocery store. And when I listened to that chapter, I was like, oh dear God, what have I gotten myself into? As I kept listening to the book, I realized what the point of that chapter was. So let me explain what this book is about. It is about a family, a husband and wife, two teenager children who 
rent a house a couple hours from New York City where they live and they are on vacation. So this particular chapter, because they have rented this house, they're filling up the fridge and so they have food to eat while they're on their week-long trip. What happens is the owners of the house in the middle of the night, they come to the door and they're like, something's happened in New York City. The electricity has gone out. And they decided because New York is so crowded, they didn't know what else to do. And so they said, we're going to go to our house in the country. So they show up in the middle of the night. You know, you're listening to this and you're thinking, are these really the owners? Are they murderers? You know, what's going on? As the novel progresses, you realize, along with the characters, that something big has happened, but you never know what it is. You know that the electricity has gone out in New York City, but they still have electricity and running water where they are. There's no internet. There's no phone. You don't know what's going on, but you get the sense that it's something big. But is it a bomb? Is it a nuclear reaction? Is it an invasion of some sort? Is it aliens? You read the book and you're constantly on edge because you don't know what's happening. Because I posted something on our Perks Facebook page about this book was freaking me out because the way the writer, Ruman Alam, writes it, it's so vague. All this weird stuff starts happening. Like they look outside one evening and they see flamingos have landed in the pool. And so then they're questioning, they're like, okay, what's going on that flamingos, are these flamingos that have escaped from a zoo? Are these flamingos that have migrated here because they're not too far from New York City. So what's going on? What I thought was really brilliant about this book was that vague writing because your wheels are spinning the whole entire book. And so for me, it was super suspenseful. You know, like I was reading it, like, I just want to know what's going on. But it totally puts you in the shoes of the characters because they are doing the exact same thing. Some people were like, oh my gosh, it it drove me nuts. I couldn't handle it. But I thought it was really in terms of making you have this very strong reaction to a book. I, I felt like it did a really good job of that. It also really made me think about, because we went on vacation like a couple weeks after I finished that book, and I really thought about what happens if we lose access to our phone. Everybody keeps their, to if they're going on vacation, they have directions on their phone. They have emails. So like if they have the code to get in the house they're staying at or the phone numbers of the people that they rented the house from, like without our phones, we're kind of useless unless we've made a point to have books and print out directions. Like there's this vast knowledge that We've sort of allowed our phones to take away from our brains. We don't have to rely on our brains anymore because we rely so much on technology. So I felt like it it just really made me think. So, you know, again, some people that commented were like, I couldn't handle, you know, the fact that it was so vague. It felt like it wasn't going anywhere. But to me, that's the whole point of the story, that, that it was very vague. It sounds like it's a particular type of reader. It's not going to be a book for everyone. But as yeah. you were finishing, you were saying, I just have to finish this book. So you sounded frustrated, but maybe after it was done and you pondered it a little bit, you had a different take on it? I mean, as you're reading it, you are frustrated. But 
that's exactly how any of us would feel if we were in that same situation, right? Like if something happened and we didn't have the news and we didn't have our cell phones and our telephones didn't work, we would not know what was going on. So all we would be doing is speculating, right? So not only is that what the reader's doing, but that's what the characters are doing. So, you know, if you're the type of person who you want an answer by the end of the book, you want it tied up in a neat bow, this is not the book for you because you never find out. But if you are the type of person who enjoys that suspense and you like the wheels turning feeling and kind of like books that have an apocalyptic feel, I think you would like this. Anyway, well, I'm going to be quiet now because I really talked way more about that than I planned to. So Melanie, what have you been reading? I read by listening to a lot of audiobooks. Um, It just helps me because it's less screen time. So that's good for my eyes. And I can do it while I'm doing laundry or going for a walk. So I can do it when I have the time. And it lets me turn off my writer brain. So audiobooks Mm. is really for me how I get my pleasure reading in. And I just started. It's by Alexandria Belfleur. And it is um, Hang the Moon. And it's fun because it is very similar to mine in that the hero decides to try and prove to the woman he's in love with that romance does exist. And he does this by setting up dates that are copies of things that happen in rom-coms. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I didn't like pick this book out on purpose like that. I like I wanted to read a book kind of like mine. Um, I do a monthly author interview series with two other friends um, called the Boozy Book Broads. And we do this for the bookstore Love Sweet Arrow. And Alexandria is our June guest. So I wanted to make sure I read the book. And I would totally want to read this on my own anyway. But there are a lot of fun similarities. The hero is also a six foot four nerd. So he has Luke vibes. So I'm excited to read it and to talk to her about it. But it's, yeah, so it's Hang the Moon. And it's by Alexandria Belfour. I wonder if the nerdy guy is going to be like the new Matthew McConaughey or something. I just think that, you know, nerdy is the new sexy. <laughs> yeah, I, we need to put that on a button. I'm saying that's another thing I'll have to credit you, you two for. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I am going to make that a sticker. I, I'm not kidding. I'm going to make that a sticker and I will send you some. You must. Awesome. I must have one. I must have one. <laughs> I'm writing this down. I love it so much. What is a book that you would say is like one of your all-time favorites? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> I know. That's kind of a hard question. Obviously, I'm not asking your favorite book. but like, favorite, is there favorite. A- No. So, okay. So, actually, I will say if I had to pick one favorite, it is Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale. Okay. And, and that's it, a romance as well. It is a romance, but it is like a romance that is it's in its own league. It is a historical romance. The hero has a stroke, but they don't know what that is at the time. So they put him in a mental institution and the heroine is Quaker and someone in the family owns this institution. So she goes there to to work there. So she ends up meeting the hero and helping him. And then she feels like she has this kind of message or mission from, from God that she's supposed to help them. It is not a religious book. It is not anything like that. It is straight up romance, but it is beautiful and it is different. There's a podcast called Womance that the two hosts read that book and then we talked about it together and I was able to gush about all the things I loved about it. That's and it's cool. called Womance? Like um, the w- podcast W-H-O-A exclamation point Mance. M-A-N-C-E. Oh, I was thinking... Whoa, like W-O-E. Yeah, those would be what you got very, all the very angsty. Bad, right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, whoa, as in like, whoa, it was awesome. So that's kind of their thing is like they'll rate a book, whether it's whoa or meh. And like woes gotcha. are like the really good books. Uh, so yeah, that's a fun podcast too. That's fun. That's- Amy, what have you been up to reading wise? Okay. So the book I want to talk about today fits in well with what we've been talking about because it is a book called As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride by Carrie Elwes. And I've recently listened to this. I think this must be the audiobook episode because we all are talking about audiobooks today. But this is narrated by Carrie Elwes himself. And Carrie Elwes is an actor who played Wesley, the main male lead in this movie. And I wouldn't say I really have a favorite movie, but if there's a movie that I watch over and over again, it would be The Princess Bride. And if it comes on TV, I will stop whatever I'm doing and I'll just sit down and watch it. And I just love the mix of the comedy and the love story and the fairy tale. It has such a great ensemble cast to it with Billy Crystal and other comedians in it. It is just great. So that movie was made in 1987 and it's based on a book by William Goldman that was written in the 70s. And this movie was directed by Rob Reiner, but it's a fairy tale slash fantasy slash love story slash action adventure slash comedy. And it didn't do as well at the box office as what they expected, but it went on to be a cult classic. So the book written by Elwes is his recollection of what it was like to make the movie. And he also has many of those actors and behind the scenes people involved include their own recollections in the book. The book starts with how hard it was to get the movie made, even though there were many directors that had wanted to tackle it. And you come to find out that Rob Reiner, the director, and Carrie Elwes, who played Wesley, were both huge fans of the book before there was ever an idea of a movie. And I've never read the book, but apparently Goldman wrote it for one of his children, and he said that it was the one book that meant the most to him. So, of course, as a book lover, I love the idea that Reiner and Elwes are such huge readers and that that contributed somewhat to the success of the film. And you learn cool little facts. Like originally Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for the role of Feswig the giant and (laughs) Danny DeVito as the Sicilian. And we learn about the months of intense training that the actors, Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin, who plays the, the Spaniard had to do to carry off their famous duel without the help of stunt doubles. It made me want to go back and watch it all over again to see all these little inside tidbits that they talk about. I listened to it on audio. I'd highly recommend it. Carrie Elwes narrates it and he has a lovely voice and he's able to do so many impersonations and accents. He does a great impersonation of Andre the Giant uh, in the book. But in addition, many of the actors also narrate their portions, including Rob Reiner, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Chris Sarandon, and Billy Crystal. So it was almost like listening to a documentary about the making of the movie. And in that way, it reminded me of Daisy Jones and the Six by Tara Jenkins Reid, which is fiction. It's a fictionalized version of a rock and roll documentary where each member of the band narrates their own part. But that style must be one that I particularly like because uh, I loved Daisy Jones and the, and the Six. So if you're a movie buff, this would be a great book to add to your TBR because it gives you all kinds of great behind the scenes stories about how a movie actually gets made. Uh, you get the successes, but you also get the challenging parts. I love movies, but I wouldn't say I'm a movie aficionado. So I suppose it's possible that like this might be old hat for, for other people. I've never read a book about a making of a movie before. So this is all like new to me. It's called As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales. And I was just going to say, Melanie, if your rom-com resort 
in your book was real, they should have one of the role playing characters be named Wesley. And he would say, <laughs> as you wish. Oh, that, yeah. Well, they, someone, yeah, has that on their wish list. I wrote it down because I will be looking for that to, to get that on audio. Yeah, I, it was a great listen. It sounds good. I, li- I read a book by Emma Thompson, it was basically a compilation of her diary that she wrote while filming um, Sense and Sensibility. And that, oh. yeah, and that was fascinating because it kind of has all these little nuggets of weird things that happened when they were trying to do things on set and the weather wouldn't cooperate and yes. great it was just lots of fun. <laughs> we are going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to ask Melanie three about me. We are back with Melanie Johnson and we're going to ask her her three about me. So question number one, you are a self-described Star Wars nerd and your office is Star Wars themed. How did this obsession begin and what is your favorite catchphrase from any of the Star Wars films? Okay, so Star Wars fandom, I think it's probably been lifelong for me. A lot of my early memories are going to see... I was too young to see Star Wars in the theater, but definitely remember going to see Empire Strikes Back when I was little. My dad was really into it, so it was something that we shared. I remember getting my first Princess Leia figure, the white one with the, with the buns, and then like immediately losing her afterwards <laughs> and being completely devastated. You know, my mom said, don't take it out of the package. And of course I did. And we get out of the car and I, it's lost. It's lost oh, in the field. No. <laughs> so I still, still miss her. <laughs> So something I've always enjoyed the movies. And then sometime in my teens, I just started collecting Star Wars stuff. And then not long after that, the prequels were coming out. So it became like this fresh wave of excitement about the movies and like this fresh wave of stuff. And so I just dived in and embraced it. And my husband has lots of fun finding odd little Star Wars things for me. So it's a shared obsession. That I have, like, I'm standing in my Star Wars office right now. It's it should be a dining room, but it's wall to wall Star Wars posters, toys, memorabilia, everything. Oh. If when people come over, they think it's his, but no, he has his his nerd room <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> his office is all video game stuff. Mine is all Star Wars stuff. In some ways, it is a romance, you know. It, and it's it's an adventure and it's fantasy and it, it's all that stuff that I love. I didn't love the new movies a lot. I mean, I enjoyed them. I watched them. But The Mandalorian, the series that came out on Disney+, Plus, that I absolutely adored. And not just because Baby Yoda is adorable. <laughs> Baby Yoda is adorable. I haven't seen those. I'll have to watch them because I'm a huge Star Wars fan that. too. If you are a fan of the classics, this gives you those vibes, those vibes of what that kind of almost like gunslinger Western style feeling, like a, they call them space operas, you know, space Westerns. It has the feel it's hard to describe but if you watch it you you'll get it like the feel of the original trilogy and just just a lot of fun I remember going to see the very first Star Wars movie with my mother and my cousin I was maybe five and it's the first movie that I remember seeing in a movie theater and I don't remember too much about it except for the trash compactor scene (laughs) that one I remember vividly and it's kind of a scary scene but my husband was also a Star Wars fan and his mother kept all of his little Star Wars (gasps) figures from the 1970s and 80s my heart started beating faster And she gave them to us when we had, you know, our children. But my, I remember my boys playing with, you know, all the little figures that is and everything. Amazing so, and yeah. really cool. I, yeah. 
<sighs> favorite phrases. And that is so hard. So you talk about the garbage shoot scene. And when I was first making business cards, on one of my business cards, I put the, the quote, into the garbage shoot, flyboy. If, <laughs> if you don't know that phrase, we can't hang. So that's right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So well, that's I'm definitely looking... one of my favorites. Yeah. Okay. Your second question is, your Instagram handle is The Writing Lush, and you have a group on Facebook called The Reading Lushes. So we've already talked about the reading and the writing. Let's talk about the lush part. (laughs) What is your favorite cocktail or wine, and why do you Uh, like it? So... I joke about how I pretty much love any cocktail that starts with the letter M, and there's quite a few. <laughs> Margarita, huh. Moscow Mule, Mimosa, you know, there's there's a ton of them. And I do like all of those, but I think my current favorite is <laughs> Dark and Stormy is ginger beer, which is not alcoholic, and lime juice. And then it is, if you are true Dark and Stormy, this is actually a trademarked cocktail name, you need to use Gosling's Dark Rum. And that's probably my favorite, that little, like, the spice of the ginger. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good summer drink. The whole reading, the Lush thing, it kind of started as a joke, and then it became my brand. But the whole idea of the concept of Lush is just, you know, embracing things that bring you pleasure, that that you can kind of, like, indulge in and to to swim in it, swim in the things that you love. And it doesn't have to be booze. You know, it can be romance novels, like, things like that. So just embracing all the things that you love and live a lush life. All right. Last question. You have a list of a hundred things about you on your website, which makes it super easy for us to find something about which to ask you for this three about me segment. But we have to know how exactly did you break your leg while chicken fighting? So, I mean, I use the term tomboy, which I don't know if that's politically correct anymore, but that's what I always it was called when I was a kid. A kid who ran around in jeans and played with the boys and was rough and tumble. And so chicken fighting, if you don't know what it is, it's you climb up onto the monkey bars and you're on one side and the other person is on the other side of the monkey bars and you swing towards each other. And then you meet each other in the middle and kick each other until one of you falls off the bars. (laughs) One of those great games we played in the 70s and 80s. Yes, one of those wonderful games. So, So I was, you know, my usual hanging out with the boys and I'm up there and I still remember his name, Danny. You know, we're kicking away and I'm winning. Like I'm definitely winning. And this other boy, Jason, climbs up on the monkey bars with him and helps him kick me off. And like so both of them kicking me, I end up landing in this horrible way and break my leg. <laughs> oh. See, um, I that's not totally not fair. That's <laughs> yeah. ganging up. Yeah. yeah. So that was, I hope, I hope they felt terrible about it. So I'm like, you know, screaming in agony. The, the parent that owned this yard, it was none of our parents. It was somebody else's yard. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so it was that was second grade, second grade, and I was oh, wow. in the cast, and then the walking boot, the walking cast, and the the whole nine yards. So yeah, when I read that, I was thinking, well, two things. I've seen chicken fighting like in a pool, right? So you're on somebody's <laughs> oh, shoulders. on someone's shoulders. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm, you're in water. How how did this happen? So <laughs> like you know, my landed backwards going. onto the concrete. And then I, suppose. I started thinking of actual chickens, but I'm like, no, that's cock fighting. <laughs> so I was just like. <laughs> I wasn't sure where this conversation was going to yeah. go. Well, Melanie, it has been so fun chatting with you today. Thanks so much for being a guest on our show. I, w- I had a great time. Thanks for having me. To find Melanie on Instagram, go to at the writing lush and her Facebook romance group at the reading lushes. 
Did you know you can find a list of all the podcasts, movies, and TV shows we talk about on our website? You don't need to have a pencil and paper sitting right next to you to write down all the titles you hear us mention. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on your podcast player. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org. <laughs>